0: I'm hoping that one of two things happens for everybody here today. One that if you don't already believe in Jesus Christ that you will believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And that if you already believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, which I'm I think it's a safe assumption the majority of you would say yes, is that if the, that you fall into that classification, that category, that you would now be awakened in your faith in who he is. That you won't sit where you have been, that you will grow to where God intends for you to be, to allow it to sit and to dwell, to penetrate so deeply into your heart, that it will cause you to live a life of abundance like you've never known before. And that's part of what our ears, I'm praying, our ears, our hearts allow us to receive today. today that we can step into that and allow it to sit on us, because He is glorious. I pray that we won't step into this place today and then walk out with the same casual attitude that we walk out of a mire or a family fair or a coffee house or our job because we would have encountered God. And once you encounter God, you cannot remain the same. It demands a change in your life, a transformation. And so I want us to sing this again. And I want it just to just let it fall on you to sit on you and to use this as a time of prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear God's word today. So, God, please. I don't care how much we think we already know. Today, grow our faith. Grow our faith. In Christ's name, amen. Any of you guys play the odds? Right. How many of you have been to Little Caesars? No. That's um, Little River. No. Little. Go down 131. What's the name of that casino? Gun like. I was testing you. See how many people go. That was a test. Um, little Caesars is a pizza company, isn't it? And, uh, and also some more things. I want to play the odds a little bit today. And this is how I want to do it. I want to give you the odds of winning the lottery. All right. So here they are for us. So I'm going to go ahead and throw up here right now. Here are the odds of winning the lottery. This is the Powerball ticket, all right? One in 292.2 million. There's like, what, 300 million-ish people in the United States? Think about that. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, go throw all your money toward that. It's it's got a good chance of winning, all right? Mega Millions, by the way, uh, it's a little bit better, 1 in 259 million. I just wanted to share that with you, so I would encourage you to play Mega Millions over Powerball if you want to just completely waste your money, all right? Um, How about getting hit by lightning? What are the odds of that? Odds of getting hit by lightning are 1 in 13,500, much lower than I thought. (laughs) Literally, I was on. There. It started raining the other day, right? Um, when I love rain when it's 33 degrees outside, and um, so I'm cleaning out gutters that were clogged up, and I'm like, oh, I got to get up there, and I literally got down because I had just done this research. <laughs> I think I'll wait and just let it flood. <laughs> Odds of being killed by a shark? How about that one? That's a good one. One in three million seven hundred forty-eight thousand sixty-seven. I, here's the good news, I think it's far less likely if you live in Michigan, (laughs) right? At least you all wear sweatshirts that say no salt, no sharks, so either you have bought into something that is not true, Um, so those are some odds. I want to give you some more important odds and some facts for us. Um, I cannot encourage you enough to write some of these things down some of the passages of scripture that I'm going to be able to share with you today, but also uh, some of the facts about what was taking place in terms of Jesus being Messiah. One, because for some of you, you want to know how to better share with people about, is Jesus Christ really Messiah, and this can help you in doing so, right? But also because some of you need to hear this today, even though we understand um, That facts will never be enough for the faithless. It just won't be. I shared it last week. I'll share it again probably in a couple of weeks. Some of you have just determined for yourself, you will not truly believe. And yes, you may even come to church every week and some of you still don't really believe. Because if you really believed, everything else would change in your life. I want to begin with Micah. Micah 5.2. Jot that down. Micah 5.2. Here's the prophet Micah writing 700 years, 700 years before Christ, right? And out of all the thousands of cities in the world at the time, he actually designated Bethlehem of Judea as the birthplace of the Messiah. This little hole-in-the-wall place. 700 years before Christ, Micah 5.2. Think of that. So here's the word of God, majority of written within about a 1,500-year period. And throughout all of those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, all those centuries, you have people 700 years prior speaking of what would come from this hole-in-the-wall place. Another one to write down, Isaiah 714. This is about the same time period when Isaiah is writing this, when he said that Christ would be born of a virgin. You go, know, Wow. 700 years roughly prior in fact just over a thousand years before christ there's a prophecy about messiah's hands and feet being pierced which was by the way within a thousand years before christ that was 800 years before crucifixion was even implemented by the romans It was roughly 200, 250 years before Christ that they began implementing crucifixion in the manner in which Christ was executed, crucified. And so yet, 800 years before that, you have such prophecies coming to fruition. Malachi 3.1, another one. This is pinned a little closer to the birth of Christ. It's 425 years before his birth. Malachi 3.1 Specifies that the Messiah would be a contemporary with the the temple of Jerusalem. And, And that's exactly what was happening. Of course, it was destroyed in 70 AD. How about Zechariah 11, 11 through 13? Written just over 500 years before Christ. And I encourage you to compare that with Matthew 27, 3 through 10. So Matthew 27, 3 through 10 compared with Zechariah 11, 11 through 13. Because here's Matthew 27 written roughly 25, 30 years after the birth of Christ. A little bit more. And yet what you find is this amazing, well, it's far more than a coincidence. You start to recognize that there are literally hundreds of prophecies for who Jesus, the Messiah, would be. And they've all come to fulfillment. Like these are some, this is something that if you had these types of odds, you would be playing those odds all day, every day. Never going to sleep. There's a book out there, and many of you hopefully have read before. It's called Science Speaks. Science Speaks. It's by a guy, Peter Stoner and Robert Newman. And the book was based on the science of probability, right? And it's vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation, right? And it's the probability of setting out the odds of any one man in history fulfilling simply eight of the prophecies. Now, there's there's considered to be roughly uh, 60 major prophecies fulfilled by Christ, nearly 300 altogether. So think of this. The odds of one person fulfilling even eight of the prophecies. And they're looking at this. And these are some things that they came out with. Um, In fact, let's look at this slide here. What you have is the odds of one person fulfilling eight of those prophecies is 1 in 10 to the 17th. You see the numbers there. By the way, that's eight of the prophecies. Only eight. You also see the odds of one person fulfilling 48 of the prophecies is beyond human comprehension. Beyond human comprehension. And yet there's roughly 250 more prophecies to go. Jesus Christ fulfilled 332 distinct prophecies. 332. Like even for the, those people who they have to have everything just right in order for them to believe it and to buy into it, I'm trying to speak to you today. Those those individuals who want everything, like, no, if, it's, if there's any probability that something can happen, this is the greatest probability that he is Messiah. When you look at all the prophecies that have been fulfilled, then anything we have, take it to the bank. And that means it should stir your heart. It should awaken your mind. That one guy said, here's the likelihood of it, is that it's the state of Texas, right? Maybe you've heard that before. If, uh, if you cover the entire state of Texas, and there's a guy standing here, watch this photo. If you, if you fill and cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep, the entire state of Texas, like I've been, I've driven across Texas. It took three years. You cover the entire state of Texas, two feet of silver dollars, and it's like you, a blind man going and finding that one coin that they had to find. That's the probability of it. And so we consider this, guys. And we go, wow, okay, so is Jesus really the Messiah? You start looking at all those prophecies, everything that's been fulfilled, and you go, wow, there's something here. It's something that you have to explore and allow it to impact your life. Right, because you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and, and you go, okay, wait a second here. God is coming and he comes in and he promises someone would come, a son of Eve, to come into the picture and to destroy evil. And he began a lot of this with Abraham and it continues on. Even the, It was the great grandson of Abraham, Judah, that God came and said, listen, I'm going to use someone from your line to come into the picture and to redeem the world. The first king we had from Judah, from that lineage, okay, was David. He was the second king of the chosen people, but the first of that line. Saul was the first king, but not from Judah, okay? And so here he comes into the picture. Well, we find out very quickly, even though some are waiting and going, okay, what's going on here? What's going to take place? Well, we very quickly discovered that, that David had a lot of problems and a lot of, a lot of sin in his life for himself. Yes, he he was a man after God's own heart, but there's so much sin that he had in his life. And it began where you had king after king after king failing to really be that individual until there were no more kings. But then you had all these prophets coming and they kept speaking about the coming Messiah over and over again. Isaiah even tells us that the king would need to die. And then you fast forward even over the intertestamental period, which is between 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? And you come to this guy by the name of Jesus Christ. And it was discovered that he had power over life and death. And the New Testament really is going through extensive information to let you know that through Christ, you too can know the power that is greater than life and death through him, through him. And he lets us know that the Bible does throughout the word that the only power that can forgive sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. Some some may be thinking, well, why do they have to prove Jesus so much? Why why is it they can't just let him be the good prophet that everybody says that he is? Nobody can deny that he was a great teacher, why can't they just let it be? Why can't Christians relax a little bit? I've gotten that one before. Shocker. Right? Why, why can't. Why can't you just relax a little bit about who Jesus is? The reason is very simple. It's because he conquered life and death. And that same thing is being promised for all who place faith in him. And without doing such, there's eternal damnation. And I'm going, listen, I love people way too much to not let them know about the power of Jesus. And so we can't have the distinction that so many people want to have. So next week we're talking about, well, then is Jesus really the only way? Is Jesus really the only way? And yet the Bible tells us that he paid the penalty of our sin. You find that here's some more passages that, that speak about that so clearly. And I'll hit some more later on. But Ephesians 1.7, I'm just calling these out. So you can, this week you can go and dive into them. I just don't have time to cover everything. Ephesians 1.7, uh, Hebrews 9.14 would be another one. Revelation five, And if you believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty of your wrongdoing, your sin in life, think about it like this. Let's just say you, you sin five times a day for 50 years. It's 91,250 sins. And I don't know about you, but... If it's 9 a.m. and I've only sinned five times, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And yet someone, by the name of Christ, we declare, has the power to defeat that. 91,250. And that's, if you only live 50 years, five times a day, you're messing up. And the power of that, the love that it takes to say, you know what, I'm going to take it all. It's pretty exciting to me. That's pretty, I mean, not even pretty exciting. Like when I go, man, God loved us so much, and you go all the way back to what he's done and, and the words that have been spoken, and now he's going to give his son to take all of that for me, but also for anybody who places their faith in him, that's why we make such a big deal about Jesus. I mean, that just gets me going. Like right now, I think we should all just run out of this place and start hitting every house we can. And that's how powerful the message is. That's why I say today, the the two primary purposes, if you're the non-believer that you believe and go, wow, there's something to this. Look at all those prophecies. Look at the odds. Look at the probability, even from a scientific standpoint. But also it's for the believer to let it stir your heart and to wake you up. And to recognize, what am I really giving myself to then? Like if if other people look at your life and they go, man, look at the way he's living. There's something different about him. He's got this zest. He's got this passion for the Lord. Why is that? Because to me, if you look at 92,500, and that's way on the low end, and I go, someone's taken all of that for me, the penalty of that, the payment that was needed for that, you better believe I'm waking up in the morning and I'm excited to declare that he is my God. The real problem with Jesus is not that folks can't believe in him, but that they won't believe in him. Because we know that Jesus is God in flesh. Right? Even Matthew 4, he starts going to a bunch of fishermen. Matthew chapter 4, and he says, hey, come and follow me. And what he's really saying is, hey, come on, be my disciple. Be my disciple. Let's let's go do this. And so they had to abandon everything in order to claim to be his disciple. We must not reduce following the Messiah to some casual routine in our life. But I think the majority of people... When it comes to Jesus Christ, um, I would compare following Jesus for a lot of people to working out. Every day I wake up with the same attitude about working out. I may or may not get to it. And so many of us view ourselves as disciples. And we really, if you look at our life, we go, we may or may not get to it. We may or may not get to it. And yet here Jesus Christ is set apart from everyone else in history. He uniquely fulfilled every single prophecy. And he conquers the enemy that we could not conquer. Christianity is more than one option on a giant buffet. It is the only option. We know that God lives in those who come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. Even Peter was preaching right away when he began to preach. He preaches, repent and be baptized. This is Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul also, he knew that God lived in him. And so he says the following in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. It goes even further in Colossians 2.9 where he says, God revealed himself fully in Christ Jesus. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in the bodily form. Really what this means for us is by partaking of Christ, having faith in Christ Jesus as being the Messiah. We can now be a part of God's own divine nature. Here's how Peter, uh, in, in 2 Peter, how he sums it up. 2 Peter one through. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 3-4 says divine power has given us everything we need for life. That divine power, by the way, is the power of Christ and what he's done. Knowing that all these prophecies, he's fulfilled every single one of them. And so all of a sudden what you see is divine power. That power has given us everything, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. There it is. So that you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desire. You see, Jesus is the Messiah. You look at the Science, you look at the proof, you look at those things, and you go, Wow, then why? Why would God allow His Son to come in in that type of way and to be a payment of all the sin in our life? And this is, we, this is what we find Jesus Christ came revealing God. Here are a few ways that we see Jesus revealing God one is that Jesus revealed God's character and all that he did, how he acted toward, and how he treated other people. When he even said the words, I've not come to be served, but to serve, he showed us the nature of his Father. Three in one, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important for us. That's why we speak about all three of them here. In fact, I think the majority of churches, what they do is they concentrate 95% on Jesus, about 4% on God, and about 1% on Holy Spirit. It's three in one, all equal, and you go, wow, we need to understand the three of them and the power of the Trinity. So here's Jesus coming in revealing God's character, but also it shows us that Jesus died and conquered death so that we could be reconciled to him. I want to give you some more passages as well, Romans 5, 10 through 11. Romans 5, 10 through 11 says, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus also revealed God's plan for the church. Ephesians 2, 14 through 22 addresses some of that. Ephesians 2, 14 through 22. But here comes Jesus and through Peter and through Paul, he starts to let them know that the, the church is to transcend national barriers and and. Racial barriers and all of these other things, and to allow everybody to come to know the same God. One of the popular ways of thinking about Christ is, uh, is from the author uh, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is known for Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe you've seen those movies before, read the books before. Um, he started off as an atheist, and then later in life, he came to know Christ. And um, This is what he says, right? He says that Jesus is either a liar, lunatic, or a lord. Maybe you've heard that, liar, lunatic, or lord. He's one of the three. But by the way, there's a... I want to show you a couple of pictures that I think would actually represent maybe who Christ re- would really look like. By the way, he, wasn't, he was not albino like me. All right, He would have been of darker complexion. The one on the right is a little too made up, but I decided to show you two so that you could see it. He didn't have the perfectly groomed beard. All right? You look at when he just lived. So here's C.S. Lewis, he's saying, here, let me tell you about this guy. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Why? Because if Jesus says these, has all these different claims and they were false and he knew it, he's a liar, right? It's not very complicated. But if he has all these claims and they were false and he didn't know it, that means he's a lunatic. He's delusional. He's an egomaniac. I haven't met many egomaniacs, though, who come and say, hey, I just want to serve you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wash your feet. I'm, I'm going to serve you. I want you to baptize me. The third thing, though, is that you could also say that Jesus, if his claims were true, that he's Lord. We can't say he was this great teacher that we admire, that we look up to, but that his most fundamental teaching was a monumental error that he was Messiah, the Son of God. You know, I think the question that is begged for us is what classification have we given to Jesus? What classification have you given to Jesus? What is that? And if you don't really know, if you're not sure, think about somebody coming over to you and just saying, "Hey, who do you think Jesus really was?" And you don't really you don't know them, and so you don't know what their stance already is because a lot of times we change our answer according to who's speaking to us, right? If I walk up to you and uh, you recognize me, right, you're gonna I'm gonna say, "Hey, who do you think Jesus is?" You're gonna go, "Oh man, he is a son of God, he is Messiah," and then you're gonna break out into some hallelujah, praise the Lord's. But how about someone who walks up to you and you've never met before, so you don't know how they, how they believe or what they believe, and they walk up and say, hey, I, real quick question, who do you think Jesus is? What do you say? Do you have as much enthusiasm? Do you have as much zeal? Do you have as much conviction in answering who Christ is then because of not knowing the response of the one who's asking We need to know what classification have we given to Jesus. Is he a good guy? Is he a teacher? Is he a prophet? Is he a charlatan? Is he, is he Messiah? Because again, the primary purpose, let's be honest, the majority of people here are believers. If we really believe all of these things are true, it means tomorrow your life will look different than it does today. And that on Tuesday, it's going to look different than it does tomorrow. And on Wednesday, it's going to look different than it did on Tuesday. Because someone so great, who fulfilled every single prophecy, who's come to usher in the conquering of Satan, who has come to usher in the forgiveness of sins, deserves no less. Salvation is by no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. Salvation is rescue and deliverance from eternal death. That's what it is. It's a penalty of sin given by the grace of God through faith. Ephesians 2.8. Some passages that more than support that, I'll just call them out to you. John 3, 16. Whoever believes in him shall not die, have eternal life. Romans 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is what? The power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, Since then... Romans 5, 1 and 2, since then, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 that I mentioned earlier lets us know that it's by grace that we are saved. It's by grace that we are saved through faith. What I want to do is I want to make sure that you understand that if these things are true. And these are things. This is how I'm going to go ahead and tell you. This is how I approach today's sermon. Is Jesus the Messiah? I looked at what I used to tell people all the time who didn't believe in God. That I would encounter whether it be in Atlanta or Louisville or in Connecticut. It didn't matter where. And people who would approach me, and I would, I would just sit them down and say, hey, here's some things just to consider. Because here's the one thing you can't deny, even scientifically. The Word of God, the Bible, which I'm going to tackle in a couple of weeks in terms of it being truth. It is still one of the most used historical pieces that we have of what happened. Why? Because they know of the value. They know of what it says. And so I would come to people and say, listen, you have to to know that even the Bible, if you're this well-educated, you have to know that the Word of God is still being used to, to determine the truth in other documents. The Word of God is being used to determine if other documents are real. And so I would say, understanding that, let's let's just map it out. And so you have these 300 and some odd prophecies, 60 major prophecies, and so you start looking at something fulfilling all of those odds. You explain that to me. Because we even know there's proof of the time frame of 1,500 years in which all this was documented. There's nobody who can tell you, well, you know what happened is about 20 years after Jesus, a group of people came together and they just started writing all these documents and just... Compiling them, and that's what the word of God is. They said it was over 1,500 years, but not really. It's not, it doesn't happen. And so I, I can't help but to recognize that if this is truth, if Jesus really is Messiah, then it's going to serve as a catalyst for changing our life every single day. I think that's one of the things that got me so badly. I'm sitting in the, on the street in Atlanta, Georgia. And this is when I'm really struggling with business, or do I go back and go to seminary? I'd already graduated, and I'm going, who goes back to school when you just got out of school? That doesn't make sense to me. And so I'm going, what do I do, what I do? And I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to some people. And one of the guys who would just saying, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in any of it. And he was vocal about it. And you had to be very careful about how you approached it, because he was also a very large man. He goes, I know it's not true, because if what you say is true, all these people who go to church would act far different than what I see. My argument was horrible at that moment. My words were this. you're right I guess the majority of people who are showing up in church don't really understand who he is why because the result of salvation of knowing Christ is an intimate experience or a relationship with God John 141 I'll leave you with this. John 1.41. This is, it says he, but it's referring to Andrew, by the way. All right. So I'll just say Andrew. Andrew first found his own brother Simon and said to him. These are his words. Because these are people who had been looking and searching through so many trials and so many difficulties this is the beginning of jesus's ministry and so all of a sudden what you have john 141 andrew comes to his brother and he and he says some of the most powerful words you can ever think of he says this we have found the messiah those are his words we have found the messiah And the response was an abandoning of everything that they had previously claimed for themselves in order to follow Messiah, which means Christ. Because he boldly came and he looked at his brother and he said to him, we have found Messiah. The struggle that we have today Is not that you can't believe, it's that you choose not to believe. The question you must ask yourself is, will you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? Because there is fruit that will pour forth from your life if you answer that question with the word yes. We have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. Will you believe? Now remember, Again, we're going to go ahead and conclude today. But remember this: if your answer to believing is yes, there's a line that separates the believer from the non-believer. I mean, it's and it's it's a drastic shift from one to the other. Like, if, when I say believer, I mean, <laughs> I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's the author and the perfecter of life, for he has always been with his Father. Like, when I say Messiah, I mean, it doesn't matter what you've done in life, right? You're thinking about all the mistakes you've made right now. You're thinking about all the hardship you've had. Jesus is greater than it. Jesus is greater than every mistake you can make. He can take any of them. His shoulders are big enough. I think of Jesus Christ being the guy who comes in. He fulfilled 300 plus prophecies over 1500 years. Which means if you say yes to him, he's stepping into your life and now your words are different, the way you see other people. I I used to see people and I'd get so angry at what they do. And now I look at people and I get so sad for them. That's why I think Palm Sunday, we all know, if you've ever been here on Palm Sunday, it messes with me. Because Jesus walks into Jerusalem for the last time. He sees the people and he weeps over them. Because I think he was so sad for their spiritual condition. And when you say yes to Jesus, everything is now spiritual. And so when I see people acting out and angry and with hatred and with venom coming from their mouth, I look at them, I, I'm, I hurt for them. For their spiritual condition. Because I now believe that no matter what this world drops on top of me, the name of Jesus is greater. And some go, well, you know, you haven't walked what I've walked through. Yeah, but I believe in the word of God and Jesus has. Will you believe? So, God, we come before you this morning. And I'm praying, God, that there's some spiritual jumper cables that have been attached to some hearts because I know what that can do to radically shift who we are and what it does to propel families and generations and legacies and churches and what it does to propel communities and societies, God. Thank you for fulfilling every single prophecy. Thank you for being the one true God. And may we declare your greatness in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen.